When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So I want to to make today's episode uh, about this continuing spread of the Wuhan coronavirus. I think the official name for it is the 2019 novel coronavirus, uh, but, but many people are referring to it as, as uh, just the coronavirus, the, the Wuhan coronavirus, uh, Wuhan flu. I've seen that go around, but uh, and, and I think a good place to start is just a quick recap where we're at now. And of course, it's subject to change. And, and I'll be talking more about these numbers. But, but of course, this coronavirus, it's new to scientists as of, of 2019. began in the city of, of Wuhan, which is in the Hubei province of, of China, a city of roughly 11 million people, and back in, like, November, December. That's kind of when, when these cases first started appearing. And it's, it's a relative of SARS, the severe acute respiratory syndrome, which was was a big deal back in the early 2000s. Also a close relative of MERS, which is uh, similar to SARS, but Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome. And very similar symptoms and whatnot. And, and the same is true for coronavirus. Now, the, the mortality rate, the deadliness of, of this new coronavirus, it's still up in the air. And again, we'll be talking more about those numbers a little bit later on in today's episode. But as of right now, the official numbers... Uh, we're coming up on 3,000 individuals confirmed infected worldwide. The vast majority currently uh, of these of these confirmed infections, again, take all these numbers with a grain of salt for now, just recapping. The vast majority are in China, and of those in China, the vast majority are in Wuhan, although that's slowly changing, that, that more and more are being reported in, in all these other you know, sprawling megacities in China. The number of deaths at the time of this recording, at least last time I checked, was around 80. And again, that's subject to change by the time you listen to this. All of these numbers will have changed. And honestly, they don't matter a ton right now because, well, I think these numbers are severely underreported. Uh, now, I'll remind you before I go any further, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a a specialist in infection prevention. I'm not a... Uh, virologist. Uh, I'm not any of those things, right? I'm I'm a guy that runs a podcast, pays a lot of attention to, to current events. Uh, I, I, I guess I know maybe more than the lay person about some of these things, but I'm not an expert. Um, I'm a grad student in the healthcare field. That doesn't qualify me as, as some sort of an epidemiologist. There's a ton of really bright individuals out there I think a great place for most of you to start would be Chris Martinson from Peak Prosperity. For years, he's had this investment thing, and, and little did I know, he was also, he's got a PhD in like epidemiology from Duke University, which is a big deal, PhD. Didn't even know it. Uh, but there's also a ton of other great scientists out there on uh, on Twitter and, and elsewhere, which are really giving some accurate narration of these events giving some accurate description based on the data of this new 
coronavirus. There's also a lot of experts and, and non-experts, though, that are really, I think, dropping the ball, really playing this off as not a big deal, right? The, the World Health Organization has been totally derelict in their duties and, and not really realizing just how big of a deal it is, or if they do realize it, they're, they're just not sounding their alarm whatsoever, and probably for political and economic reasons, which, again, economic reasons, huge uh, uh, topic of, of today's podcast based on where this, this uh, virus is thus far and its spread. Uh, and then you also have a ton of, of non-experts that, on, on one hand, are being totally alarmist, like this is the end of the world or whatever, and, and that's not the case. Even if everyone in the world gets infected with this, most of us are, are probably not going to die. Uh, but, but then there's a lot of people out there that are playing this off as not a big deal. Like, uh, on one hand, you have like, well, we had Ebola, we had SARS, we had MERS, you know, and, and you can give some other examples. Why is this any different? And then, of course, at even the official numbers and the current trajectory of this virus, it's already, as far as I care, as far as I am concerned, has surpassed Ebola and has surpassed the MERS and the SARS outbreaks in, in its magnitude. No, the number of deaths, the mortality rate, the number of confirmed cases, according to these official numbers, hasn't surpassed SARS yet. But the trajectory where this is heading it's not going to be very long before it has, uh, has done just that, surpassed SARS. It's, it's there as far as I'm concerned in terms of magnitude of this, right? Then there's a lot of other people that say, hey, what's the big deal? 80 confirmed deaths or however many confirmed deaths there have been in the past days, you know, past whatever. Uh, the flu kills, you know, hundreds of thousands each year. But I think the really important thing to understand about that is that those hundreds of thousands, I mean, yeah, the flu does kill them. Uh, However, the flu, as far as we know, based on current evidence and whatnot, is less contagious, or at least I should say has a lower R-naught number, meaning it's, it's not spread as easily compared to this novel coronavirus. Its mortality rate is far, far lower, less than 1%. And furthermore, we've known for a while that the flu, um, even on some of its worst years, and of course, I'm, I'm excluding certain outbreaks of the flu. Uh, there's been like a Hong Kong flu uh, uh, you know, many decades ago. There was a Spanish flu or whatever you want to call it, French flu, American flu, back in 1918, excluding those, obviously. Uh, the flu largely targets elderly populations, young, young populations, and immune compromised, which based on current confirmed cases, is also true of this current outbreak. However, there's a lot of reason to to believe that this is going to be somewhat less biased towards that older population, that relatively healthy individuals and, and individuals in a younger age range, middle-aged and even, you know, 20s, 30s, teens, could experience some very severe outcomes, including death as a result of this coronavirus, right? Uh, And, you know, with its current trajectory, you know, as we get more into numbers here, if this coronavirus is not stopped relatively soon, and it really does go global on a large scale, and and we're talking about even a million people infected, right? Right? We, we could be talking, if, if, if this all ends with a million people infected, 
which I think it's probably going to surpass that, but a million people infected. We're looking at the death of, of 50 to 100,000 people in the span of probably a couple months, right? That's a high mortality rate. And, and if you multiply that by 10, we're looking at uh, deaths from, from 500,000 to a million. If, if the mortality rate of 5 to 10%, which I'll be getting to later on, is, is, is correct. And it's obviously all up in the air right now. That's huge, though. You've already basically matched what the flu does on a bad year. That's a big deal, right? And yet this has the potential to do a lot more damage. But let's start off with a base case. Based on its current trajectory, this is not just going to go away anytime soon, right? I've, I've learned a lot lately, and, and I'm sure many other people have, about this, this R0 uh, of this coronavirus relative to past outbreaks and relative to other infectious diseases. So the R0 basically is this average number spread out over an entire population, and it, it, it changes, and it's, it's different, likely, from population to population based on, on the point in time and their circumstances, etc. And, and what it is is basically a measure of, on average, how many people will be infected by a given individual over the span of this disease. So on average, if one infected person spreads it on average to three uninfected persons and they become infected, that's an R naught of three, which sounds like not that big of a deal. But actually, if that's the average, that makes it worse than most outbreaks of, of the common flu, makes it worse than a lot of these other, you know, it puts it in the same ballpark as, as the original SARS outbreak, at least for a while. The difference with the SARS outbreak is that there were these certain individuals, super spreaders, they were called, that disproportionately um, skewed this R0 number, which for SARS was was higher than, than like two or two and a half. You know, there's a lot of disagreement currently right now about the true R0 number of this coronavirus outbreak. And part of that is because we just don't have accurate numbers of the confirmed number of cases. And of course, there's likely a, a ton of unconfirmed cases, right? But that R0 number... Uh, basically what it amounts to is is anything greater than one, there is a growth in the number of infected. And and I've seen estimates of this R0 currently anywhere from in the range of like 2.5, uh, as high as 3.6, and even beyond that. But the takeaway here is that for China to actually get this under control, they have to bring that R0 first to one and then lower than one meaning that the number of cases, the total number of infected, will have to slowly decrease. And they're a long ways from that. You know, with some of their, I think, very prudent uh, decisions to, to really isolate slash quarantine some of these cities, including Wuhan and, and other cities in the Hubei province, Hong Kong declaring a, a state of emergency, very prudent, Right. I don't think it's enough, but, but I, I get that their hands are tied. They maybe can't just close everything down. I think they could, but, but there's certainly the political will is not there right now, right? But doing that type of stuff, spreading social awareness during the, the, the uh, Chinese Lunar New Year, uh, telling people to, to avoid major gatherings and, and whatnot, that can do something to bring down that R0 number. But I'm not convinced that it's anywhere close to one or even two currently. 
right? A, a big problem with this coronavirus versus the SARS outbreak and, and many other viral or bacterial illnesses is that there's evidence right now that there is a period. So, so the timeline of, of becoming infected with this, it looks like this. You're exposed to the virus. The virus is latent in your body for some period of time. I don't know if that's the right term, latent, but, but it's there. It's working. It's, it's, you know, it's finding these host cells. It's reproducing. But thus far, it hasn't brought on any symptoms, nor is it contagious. However, there's a period of time there for some individuals. There's evidence, evidence believe this, that they are contagious before they're symptomatic, before the fever, before the cough, the chills, the runny nose, uh, obviously, and, and the more severe symptoms, pneumonia, respiratory arrests, or failure, distress, etc. That's a big deal, meaning that you could have hundreds, thousands, millions of well-meaning individuals that feel they are not sick, leaving these isolated areas, leaving China, spreading their sickness to their families during Lunar New Year, whatever it is, feeling that they are not part of the problem, they're not infected, only to realize a couple days later that they have a bit of a cough, that they're getting a fever, they're running a fever. And guess what? They've been contagious well before that fever, well before that cough began, right? And so I'm just not convinced that this R0 number is, is low, you know, in the two or below range, at least two and a half likely. And, and the other big concern that I have about this outbreak is, is that as it spreads, what is it going to look like when it hits a place like Mumbai or New Delhi in India? And I'm not trying to be like totally stereotypical and just say that, you know, the entirety of these cities is basically like on the movie Slumdog Millionaire. It's just a giant slum. That's not what I'm saying here. But it is a sprawl. These are sprawling cities in India, huge populations, and, and large amounts of these populations have very poor access to health care. And are very closely packed. I mean, it's, it's a poor pun or whatever you want to call it. But it's going to spread like a plague in those circumstances. In those communities. Cities. Right? And that's just India. I mean, uh, Southeast Asia and the Philippines and Indonesia has a lot of these communities which are on the poor side of things. A lot of the Middle East does. Right? How about Sub-Saharan Africa? You know, take a place like uh, Kinshasa. Democratic Republic of the Congo, already impoverished, right? And, and there's, you know, Lagos, Nigeria. A lot of these cities, I mean, it sounds like how would it spread from, I mean, that's, you know, we're still a ways away from that. But you should remember that China has this huge um, sprawling network of, of migrant workers where these workers from China go to these other countries around the world, whether it's Saudi Arabia or Nigeria or whatever, to, to, to work various jobs. I mean, this, is, this has been very common in China for a while now. And, and when, you know, these pathogens hit cities like those, I mean, they're just totally ill-prepared. Like, you think Wuhan, the city of Wuhan, 11 million, which is, you know, a city also in the process of building, like, two brand-new hospitals just to deal with this outbreak, was ill-prepared. Look at a place like Mumbai. 
what's going to happen then? Right? Never mind Tokyo, never mind New York City, Los Angeles, which, by the way, had a confirmed case recently. What happens when it hits a city like Mumbai? What is going to be the R not for that specific population of you know, tens of millions or however many people live there? That's, that's a concerning thought. But moving back to numbers, that's where the real, I think, misinformation has been thus far. The number of confirmed cases. Again, as I said now, it's, I think it's coming up on 3,000. It's in the 2,800 range, most of which are in China. But don't put too much stock into that. Reason being is that China is, is well, China. And, and there's two reasons really here uh, to, I'll say three reasons, to really be skeptical of that number. First of all, back in the SARS outbreak, it was very well known that China was not at all transparent about the scope of that outbreak. And there's no evidence to, to, to make us believe that this, they're somehow being more transparent this time around. In fact, I saw you know a little blurb on, I'm on a Telegram um, channel about coronavirus updates, and it's, it's all right. It's not super in-depth. But they did post a picture uh, overnight, early morning, here in the United States, and it was a picture which was reportedly, you know, had appeared, it looked as though by accident on Tencent, showing the, the total number of, of cases uh, in, in China, confirmed cases. And it was like in the 15,000 number, nowhere close to 3,000. There's some evidence to believe that maybe, you know, China could be getting closer to, to telling the world the, the true scope of this outbreak, which is undoubtedly more than than 2000. I I think, you know, part of it is just, uh, part of it is lack of transparency. China is not being transparent in the total number of of cases of this virus, right? But there's also an element of, it's not entirely their fault. They do have to be more transparent about the fact that they can't account for all these cases, but, but part of it's not their fault because they can't account for all these cases. They just don't have the healthcare capacity to, to, you know, screen these millions of, of individuals, hundreds of thousands at least, that have been exposed to or suspected to have had or have this coronavirus. It's just not feasible. Their healthcare system, I'm sure, has made some improvements since the SARS outbreak, but it's just not there. I, I don't know of a single healthcare system in the world that could handle something on this scale because guess what? I, you know what? Like I was talking about this not that long ago. Uh, the nature of, of healthcare systems is that they prepare not for that, you know, you're talking about like bell curves. They don't prepare for that um, event that is on the far right of that bell curve in terms of, of the need for beds in a hospital or need for whatever supplies, healthcare, etc. The event that is three, four, five plus standard deviations greater than kind of the average and, and the rest of the bell curve. No, they, they prepare for that average distribution. For that, those events, those the vast majority of days that are within one, two, maybe three standard deviations of the average. But they just don't have the capacity for a major event like this. Right? I mean, there's this talk about like vir- viruses. Now, there's no cure for this virus. Uh, some people just get better. You know, the mortality rate is not 
outlandish. It's not a death sentence. Uh, some people just get better. It's not really a cure as far as I'm concerned. You know, there's some evidence or there's some people looking at different AIDS uh, medications as well as some other, I'm sure, antivirals and whatnot as, as being a potential cure or a treatment at least for this coronavirus. But like so many viral illnesses, your body's either going to fight it off or not. There's no antibiotic and antivirals are are not all that effective. And, and I'm sure that most of these you know, hospitals don't have enough to, to treat tens of thousands or, or more. That doesn't mean that the healthcare system cannot do anything for these individuals. I mean, when you're dealing with you know, acute respiratory distress, uh, a lot of times these individuals are put on, on ventilators. They require ventilation to, to prolong their life, to survive. Right? And, and ventilators are relatively scarce in these hospitals. Right? Uh, you're not going to have a ventilator for a thousand people in a single hospital. In most cases, you know, I don't know how, some, how large some of these hospitals are, but, but it's pretty unlikely. Right? And so uh, the healthcare system, I mean, it, it's, it's not entirely accurate to say that they can't do anything to prevent death, to treat. I mean, even something as simple as like a bag of saline for rehydration for an elderly individual with pneumonia. I mean, that that can save a life right there, right? Um, but it's obviously becoming overloaded that today's healthcare system around the world, whether it's Mumbai or Tokyo or uh, the United States or Switzerland, France, whatever, it's just not built for this type of an event because guess what? That's expensive to build the number of hospitals with an adequate number of beds to keep on staff the adequate number of nurses and doctors. It's just not feasible for most of these. I mean, healthcare spending is already a huge chunk of so many individuals in so many countries' uh, uh, economy. <clears throat> it, it's just not feasible. So where am I at with this? Uh, I'm talking about numbers here. The numbers, because I talked about base case there, and I, I want to get back to that. But the numbers here, we're, we're looking at probably at least five to 10 times higher than, than these reported numbers. Meaning at least 15,000 to 30,000 confirmed cases or, or likely cases, right? And then you go to the realm of unconfirmed cases or individuals that are infected are potentially even contagious, just aren't symptomatic yet or just at the early stages of being symptomatic. The base case for all this is that, as I said before, maybe this is where I was going with it, the r not is not going down fast enough anytime soon, meaning that that all these steps that China is putting in place right now to, to slow the spread of this, including travel bans and quarantines and, and people staying home from work and extension of the holiday of the Chinese Lunar New Year, that is all very bearish for Chinese economic growth. This is going to be a huge blow to China's economy, probably for the bulk of 2020. This will drag the global economy into a recession unless the Fed, the U.S. government, global governments, global central banks just throw in the towel on ever normalizing monetary policy, which they almost have already to this extent. This is going to be huge, the, the amount of easing and the spending that will have to go on to stave off a recession at this point. This is maybe the black swan that will bring us into a recession. I'm, I'm not, I can't say 100% because I did just make a definitive statement there that it's going to be that way and I can't, but, but I'm very 
confident that that's going to be the case because this isn't going away anytime soon. And so even if this is largely contained to, let's say, China and maybe a couple other countries, you know, Malaysia, Thailand, Taiwan, you know, Mongolia recently closed their borders, maybe Russia, I mean, South Korea, some of those, you know, Eastern Asian areas, Southeast Asia, then so be it. As I said, doesn't spread in major numbers to U.S. and and uh, to to Europe and and you know these these other you know third world countries that I mentioned before third world cities. Well, the base case is still a global recession, which by the way is hugely bullish for silver and gold, which are up as of today thus far. You know this far into the trading week, but but hugely bullish. Um, but that's just the base case. You know, I, I can't you know pretend to estimate exactly how many total cases, total deaths we'd be at that point. But that's the base case. In all reality, though, that's we're, we're going to far exceed that. You know how I see this playing out. You know if you don't think that this is a big story, if you're in that camp of this isn't a big deal, thus far this week, well, wait till Friday. Bear with me. Tune in. Stay abreast of the news until Friday. And then we'll talk. And I hope I'm wrong. But by Friday, I think the situation that we're going to be dealing with in China is, is a total breakdown of any faith in the government and their reporting of numbers. Who knows? Maybe in an attempt to, to save face, they will try and have more transparency about the total number of, of these cases. But I think the total number of cases in China by the end of the week will be getting dangerously close to you know, depending on what the true number of cases is right now, half a million, maybe a million cases, right? It will have made at least a jump to a second generation, and it has in some countries already. Somebody that isn't or recently hasn't traveled to China or to Wuhan, um, but but to somebody that has had close contact with individuals from there, um, it's going to have made that jump in some of these countries and, and will be in the process of making a third jump to a third generation uh, infected individuals, meaning a person travels to Wuhan, infects somebody uh, when they come back, and the third generation would be the person that that person then infects, you know, will we'll be uh, moving in that direction. Uh, and, and you'll see the case numbers, which again, are, are initially going to be maybe a little more accurate, but also relatively inaccurate, but you're still going to see the case numbers in these Southeast Asian countries uh, jump. Uh, Malaysia, Thailand, uh, Myanmar, uh, Taiwan, South Korea, uh, Japan, the Philippines, Indonesia, even Australia, um, and of course Mongolia, and you know some other, you know, and of course India. You know, you'll see more and more of those countries confirm cases, uh, if they haven't already, and and the number of cases will continue to increase. You'll see these cases really begin to increase in the United States. As I record, we're at five. By the end of the week, we could be at 100. More realistically, probably still in double digits, though, uh, confirmed cases, which we have to be doubtful of. You know, I, I think early on, we're not going to see this huge cover-up of numbers here in the United States. It's just not at that scale. I mean, we're talking individual doctors and scientists and and, and and there's just not there's too much of the human element to to play into a conspiracy like that. But you know, by the end of the week I very well could see fifty confirmed cases in the United States. Maybe that's a little high, but I think you know you can see that 
there's planes every day still landing in the United States from Shanghai and Beijing and 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 many other countries that that these individuals could have come from, right? Plus, again, those individuals that have already come here that maybe have not been been caught already, uh, or or you know, the sweep for for these infected individuals hasn't caught them. They're out there infecting people right now, right, in the United States. Uh, and, and in Europe, you'll see many more European countries confirm cases. Uh, you may or may not see them confirmed in places like you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, Middle East and whatnot, but they'll be there. Make no doubt about it. It's, it's just, you know, with the nature of those healthcare systems, they're going to have a harder time reporting it, harder time detecting it in the first place, but it's going to spread. By the end of this week, it's still largely going to be located in China, though. You know, probably 95% of cases, 90% at least, will be in China. But slowly and surely, that will change. I mean, China might still be 90% for weeks to come. But but if we're talking China being in the millions of infected, you know, a couple weeks from now, that still is tens, hundreds of thousands in, in other countries, right? You're going to see it really begin to spread here to these other countries. And, and, you know, the death rate, I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, the mortality rate, according to official numbers, is still in the low single digits, two, three, four percent, depending on the day, number of cases, deaths. Um, I think that that number is going to, well, first of all, we, we don't know the total number of confirmed deaths. There's uh, deaths. There's there's a lot of reports coming out of China that they're just skewing these numbers. That there's a lot of individuals, you know, relatives of, of the deceased uh, individuals that say that you know the the hospital said it was, you know, some respiratory thing or pneumonia or something, but didn't definitively say it was coronavirus, and so it wasn't you know caught in that total tally, right? Um, but then on the other hand, there's also the number of confirmed cases, which is just not accurate. I think what we can say, though, at this point is, is you know, that the fatality rate, the mortality rate may not be as high as SARS right now, 10%. You know, SARS was around 10%. We'll see what it looks like when it, when it starts to hit some of these other third world countries, third world cities with very poor healthcare systems and very close groups of individuals. We'll see. It could far exceed 10% in those places. Uh, but it is, I think we can say pretty definitively at this point, that it is more severe than the flu, than the common cold, than, you know, things of that nature, and, and a higher mortality rate, right? I think we can say that with some confidence. Just, you know, it'll take some time to figure out a good uh, figure for what that mortality rate actually is. Um, but, but again, by Friday, I think, as I said, you know, we could be coming up on, unofficially at least, half a million cases in China, perhaps even more. Uh, and, and abroad in Southeast Asia, we're talking hundreds, if not thousands, right? Uh, and those confirmed cases are, are increasingly, we're going to increasingly see a disconnect between confirmed cases and actual cases. I mean, we already have in China. Part of that's because of their healthcare system, their lack of reporting, and the fact that it's just there's going to be a lot of people that don't go to the hospital or are not tested uh, because their symptoms aren't severe enough or just because they don't want to go because they know the hospital can't help them or they just don't want to, you know, be caught up in that period, right? But they can still spread it. Um, and, and that's going to continue to be the case for, for basically every country around the world. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we have five confirmed cases here in the United States. 
the true number of, of individuals that are infected and have symptoms and are also contagious here in the United States, as far as I'm concerned, is at least in the double digits, if not higher, right? I mean, it's just we're, we're talking basic statistics, you know, basic odds of, of infected individuals having come over on planes since this all started, right? So you'll see an increasing disconnect. But the real, I think, interesting, maybe morbid, but interesting thing about all this is that you, you'll still get a certain truth to this aspect based on the reality, right? We already seen this in Wuhan, you know, 1,500 uh, to 2,000 cases, probably beyond that now, uh, confirmed. But if you look at it, what it's like on the ground in terms of these hospitals just being overcrowded, overwhelmed, you know, really the fabric of society slowly but surely breaking down, you know... 2,000 individuals in a city of 11 million, that doesn't quite make sense. Like It's probably much, much, much more severe than that. And so the reality on the ground is, I think, telling a little more truth about the situation in Wuhan than, than the officials and the official numbers, right? Um, and I think that's going to continue to be the case in the United States. We'll, we'll slowly but surely see this just pop up in communities. You'll see clusters of individuals, families, communities, Schools, maybe, that will come down and, and sure enough, you know, the CDC will swoop in and say, this is this has been here for a number of days, a week plus now. We totally missed it because we, you know, this certain passenger from Wuhan or from China uh, and soon to be other countries, we just missed it all together. And how many other situations are there going to be like that? And eventually you'll see, you know, really a, a serious amount of fear about this. And I'm not trying to fear monger here. But be prepared for this to to get much worse than the base case that I presented. Right? That that's you know prep for an economic recession, potential financial crisis. If the base case, the the you know best case scenario happens, right? But worst case scenario, prep for for major major spread of this abroad, um, major breakdown of of. Um, I guess the economy, but also to some extent society. I mean, it's just really a matter of how long can this outbreak occur in places like Canada, the United States, Australia, um, Europe, Russia, some of these places where it's already been detected, but not huge numbers. How long can it operate here in these relatively low numbers before people absolutely freak out, stop going to work, schools close, uh, you know, how long can it kind of go fly relatively under the radar? Because as I said, the true number of infected individuals in the United States is, is probably double digits, if not triple digits. But the vast majority of infected individuals are probably flying under the radar. Again, and, and I'll do more podcasts on this later this week. This is so much different than, than SARS. I mean, it's probably the most similar to that at this point. But but it's worse. The current trajectory is far worse. It's so much different from Ebola. And I'll talk more about that later this week. Um, still so much to talk about on this topic. In fact, two things I want to leave you with. First of all, check me out on Twitter. I'm going to try and stay abreast of this on Twitter, tweeting at least a couple times a day, which is not something I do much. I don't tweet a whole lot. I, I'm on Twitter for news and stuff. By the way, sad news about Kobe Bryant. I'm a big basketball fan. I mean, I don't follow the NBA super closely, but basketball, you know, has always just been something I really 
enjoyed playing. I don't play it a whole lot today because life, you know, life, which is something I made peace with. But, but Kobe Bryant, I mean, he's a, he's a player we all kind of grew up following, all grew up watching. Um, such work ethic and, and, and whatnot, and sad to see him die. Uh, but um, Twitter, again, follow me over there if you want to keep up on this. Um, and finally, and, and again, I haven't checked it today, but if you're in the market for N95 masks, which are a mask that in theory keeps out 95% of, of, of non oil particulates, right? There's, there's different categories of this. There's, there's N's, there's P's, and, and there's another one I'm, that is, is escaping me at this time. Um, letter that, that acts as a prefix. And then there's 99, uh, 95, obviously 99 and 100. And 95s are, are seen by most people as adequate, adequate protection against viral illnesses, ideally of the medical grade and quality. Uh, but, but something that's used for like contractors and whatnot can, can still work in a in pinch, hopefully. Um, again, I'm not, you know, the expert on, on stopping the spread of, of these different diseases and whatnot. Uh, but if you're looking for the N95 mask, I know I've just been blabbering here. It's selling out pretty quickly at a lot of places and in places that it's not, it's just become very expensive. So hopefully, you know, you bought some beforehand, but if you're like me and you haven't, Menards, menards.com. Look for a 95 mask. You can find some very affordable ones there that are NIOSH, N-I-O-S-H, rated as N95. They're not going to be as nice as the 3M ones or the 3M um, like medical or surgical rated ones, but they're something. And they're probably going to be a lot better than just the basic mask that you put over your face or, or whatever else. So check that out. And I can talk more about, you know, personal protective equipment, uh, here in the future. As always though, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's, uh, podcast. Hope it wasn't too much of a downer today, but more of this to come on, uh, later in the week and God bless.